0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Each year on the 25th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev, which falls four days before the new moon closest to the winter solstice, Hanukkah begins, an eight-day holiday celebrated worldwide. Before the days of radio and television, a person called a Magid traveled from town to town visiting Jewish families. Daniel Lev is a modern-day Magid who sometimes visits Ukiah and Willets California to teach and pass along Jewish traditions through stories, song, and spiritual practice. I met with Daniel Lev in the studios of Radio Curious in the mid-1990s and asked him how a Magid would relate the story of Hanukkah to someone who is not Jewish and does not really know the story or where it comes from. This archive edition of Radio Curious was created on the day that Daniel Lev became a rabbi and received his smicha, the ordination to be a rabbi.
1: Hanukkah is a holiday of liberation, political liberation, and it's a holiday regarding the light. So the holiday regarding political liberation, historically, um, after uh, Alexander the Great had conquered the Middle East, um, he came into, and when he came into Israel, uh, actually Israel was taken without a battle. In fact, the high priest came out to, to welcome him, and it was a very peaceful takeover. And He allowed a great deal of autonomy to our people. But later when he died, the, his um, great kingdom was divided amongst his generals and eventually it came under the control of the Seleucids in the north. And who were they? They were uh, from Seleucidus, I believe, I forgot his name exactly. But they uh, were derived from this general and uh, they were Syrian Greeks, you could call them. And uh, One of their most evil kings, his name was Antiochus. Antiochus the fourth eventually rose he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes which meant God incarnate and the Jews to make fun of him would call him Antiochus Epiphanes uh, Antiochus the uh, the crazy guy you know <laughs> and
0: um, he he resented this
1: he resented this well the reason why we called him that is because he demanded that everyone worship him as a God and that's a big no-no for Jews because we worship one God which is not in a statue form you know and mm-hmm. so he would, forced people to have to bow down to his statues and would send soldiers in to enforce this. And fe- Eventually they took over the temple, uh, the, the central place of worship, and offered um, you know, pigs and various disgusting animals to you know, their gods, the Greek gods. Um, after a great deal of oppression, uh, a lot of the Jews left the, the, the big cities so they could go to small towns because Antiochus made it a law that stated you could not practice
0: being a Jew. You couldn't keep the Sabbath, you couldn't keep kosher, you couldn't study the Bible. So when was this uh, in relationship to the beginning of the Common Era?
1: Roughly about 168 BCE, before the Common Era. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, and uh, so there were also Jews called Hellenists and they wanted to be more Greek than Jewish, so the war that eventually occurred was not just the war against uh, the uh, Seleucids in the north but against, um, you know, it's basically a civil war. So the story is that one of these small troops of uh, Seleucid soldiers came to the town of Modi'in, it's in the center of Israel. And there the head of the tribe, the head of the village, his name was Matatyahu, which is Mattathias, and he and his five sons, one of whom's name was Judah. And uh, these soldiers brought a statue of (laughs) Antiochus and uh, a pig and said, okay, you are going to sacrifice this pig to our God. And Mattathias didn't move. Before they could make any move, another Jew came up, a Hellenist, said, oh, I'll do it, no problem. Comes up, he's about to, and Mattathias was so incensed, he felt the weight of this oppression for so many years that he ran up to the commander, grabbed his sword, killed both of them, And the people just revolted, killed all the soldiers, and then they knew they were in trouble. So they went up into the hills and created what was the world's first guerrilla army. To make a long story short, because this is a long story, after three years, they defeated the the Greeks enough to get back the temple. After that, they uh, declared an eight-day holiday to make up for a holiday we have called Sukkot, which they couldn't do. So they had this holiday, the end of the story. That is the story of the military. But Um, then
0: there's another story that... uh, has a different take on it.
1: Definitely. There's the story of the light. This is more the spiritual story created by the rabbis centuries later.
0: That lends itself to the current interpretation of Hanukkah being the festival of lights.
1: Definitely. It's the festival of lights, most definitely. And Even, even the, the uh, early Maccabees, by the way, that first story came from the book of the Maccabees. Uh, but the rabbis in the Talmud wrote this little paragraph that basically said that what occurred is after the Maccabees took over the temple and cleaned it out The uh, ancient candelabra, called the menorah, uh, needed very special oil to be prepared. And there was only found one cruise of this oil. And it took eight days to prepare it. They poured it in because they had faith that, well, at least we'll have this. And the miracle is that it burned for eight days. So the rabbi says, so from now on, we will mark this miracle by putting the menorah in our windows and lighting one light for each of those days to remember the light in the darkness that we lived through. It's also that we have to remember that right now each of us has darkness that we live through. We all go through a winter, various times. And it's to remind us, because every Jewish ritual reminds us of something we need to do in life to to get through, that we can just light a little light, a little candle. One candle can dispel the darkness of an entire room. And it can, you know, you know how you feel? You feel really courageous when you have that light.
0: The the time when the rabbis said, uh, put the menorah in the window. Mm-hmm. Can you give that a, a period of time in relationship to the Common Era? Well, wow. I'm not exactly a historian, but uh, the Talmud um,
1: uh, was put together greatly um, at least a couple hundred years after the Common Era. Uh, so somewhere in there, uh, because the various students at the academies where the rabbis were learning the Bible and interpreting it, recorded it, and so somewhere in there, I don't have it exactly, but uh, somewhere in that peri- time period, uh, at least uh, two to three centuries after, uh, the rabbis were, were familiar with uh, the Maccabees. The Maccabees had 300 years of kings. Uh, and They weren't happy with them because they were fairly corrupt, <laughs> as, <laughs> as uh, history had it, and so the rabbis really wanted to emphasize the spiritual uh, um, teaching of light for this holiday, rather than the militarist part
0: let 's talk about that teaching of light and and how it relates to uh, Hanukkah falling at the darkest time of the year the days when uh-huh. the darkness is the most profound
1: well, I think a number of cultures uh, draw from this okay. they, many many do yeah I mean you know and, the early pagan cultures uh, certainly Christmas does and Hanukkah uh, uh, and I'm sure it draws from the, just the reality that we 're in a very you know physically dark period you know the, the the nights are longer, and so I mean that would be the closest relationship that I would uh, think of. Uh, but really, on a from a Jewish tribal perspective, uh, light doesn't doesn't have doesn't just occur on Hanukkah. You know, we're lighting lights for every Sabbath, every Friday night. We're lighting lights. We're lighting lights for every holiday, and we're carrying that sense of the light through the year. But Hanukkah especially emphasizes it. Uh, because we went through such a dark period historically. And so it's reflected also in the season that we're in. Daniel, what is a Magid? A Magid is a Jewish storyteller, basically. But It's someone uh, who passes on the tradition of the Jewish people to the people uh, using stories and song and leading spiritual practices and prayers and things of that sort derived from the early Magidim from uh, Eastern Europe who would travel around uh, teaching people uh, about our tribal tradition.
0: What drew you to uh, bring this tradition uh, to the various communities that you visit?
1: Wow. Um, love. I mean, I just really fell in love with being Jewish. I met uh, a very blessed soul named Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, who is also like a Magid. He would travel around the world. Uh, singing Jewish songs, many of which he wrote, telling stories, passing on the wisdom through stories and songs. And we would just have wild dance parties and things wherever he would go in his concerts. And it just really basically turned me on. and uh, I saw there was more to Judaism than the responsive reading and other things.
0: Were you raised uh, with a formal Jewish tradition? My mother
1: came from Poland. Uh, She was fairly secular. She spoke Yiddish. We were culturally, what some would call culturally Jewish, so we did Hanukkah. We would light candles, but we had very little connection with the spiritual community, so I didn't have very much.
0: So it was really when you were an adult that you Mm -hmm. uh, decided that you wanted to pursue this?
1: Yeah, I, I met the Reb Shlomo when I was about 21 in San Francisco at a place he had called the House of Love and Prayer, and it was an outreach to the community. as just a bunch of uh, Hasidic hippies, essentially, getting together and singing and dancing and and, Uh and getting into the Uh traditional practices. And
0: And how long have you been doing it? Well, this is, I think,
1: uh, this Hanukkah is when I discovered the place. I went down there the fifth night of Hanukkah, actually, in
0: 1974. How do you see it that um, uh, the reason uh, that Hanukkah has become such a major holiday in the United States
1: uh, it's true, because you said a major holiday, you've given, uh, given it away, which is it's not a major holiday. I From mean, in, 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 the, in the realm of uh, Jewish holidays, it's a pizzola of a holiday, it's a little one, okay? It's important, but it's little um, in importance. Uh, if you look at Christmas, just musically, I'm a musician, the, the songs for Christmas are extremely exquisite, because so much soul goes into that, because that is such an exquisitely soulful holiday for Christians for Jews Hanukkah is also a soulful holiday but it's not as deep as Passover or Sukkot uh, so it became important obviously here for many people are familiar because of um, uh, the influence of Christmas and, and the spirit of giving and even light but also giving Christmas presents okay and so Jewish kids uh, felt they were missing things you know like any kid they would want to have something special and unfortunately the Jewish community in this country today uh, is less and less traditional. See, in the more traditional communities, there's plenty of things to do on Hanukkah. And Purim is a holiday where you really give gifts. And Sukkot is a holiday where you build things that's, you know, sukkah, this harvest hut, that is at least as magnificent as a Christmas tree. And in fact, there was an article, one family decided to do this and they built a sukkah in the front yard of their place. You know, and you decorate it, you do this stuff, and all the non-Jewish kids came and they wanted to build a sukkah too. So, you know, uh, this is a, a has equal status, but it's on a different time. It's more in September. So it's become large just because of the influence of Christmas, but really it's not.
0: I'd like to say that my guest this week is Daniel Lev, a modern-day Magid who regularly visits Ukiah and Willits to teach and pass along Jewish tradition through stories, song, and spiritual practice. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Daniel, you spend a lot of time in your life with music. Mm-hmm. How about a song? Oh, sure.
1: Sure. This is a, this is a, a, cl- a classic hymn that we sing, uh, Maod Sur. And I'll sing it in Hebrew and English, so you'll know. Um, and actually, the tune comes from uh, Martin Luther of all sources from a Lutheran
0: hymn <laughs> who had some odd attitudes towards toward Jews. People. He actually yeah. started out
1: being very friendly to Jews and then when we wouldn't convert, uh, he went a different way.
2: Anyhow, here we go. Ma'od sur Yeshu'ati Lichana l'sha'be'ach t'ikon oda dzabiah leta himad beah nitsar hamnabiah azek beshir bezmon atokatamiz beah azek beshir Anukatamis Tamizbeah Rock of Ages, let our song Praise your saving power You amidst the raging foes Was our sheltering power Curious yis sword when our own strength failed us, and your word broke the sword when our own strength failed
0: us. Tell us a little bit about the background of this song, what it means, where, why is it a Hanukkah song?
1: Uh, it's a Hanukkah song. Basically, um, takes from the spirit of Hanukkah, which is even though we um, defeated these Greek armies, we did it with faith. We did it knowing, even though you know we're small, like any guerrilla army, you know we're outnumbered. We had faith that we were right, and we had faith that we needed to stand up for ourselves. And so, with that faith, knowing God would support us, we went out. And this is again what this light represents: that they knew that this light of Torah, uh, which is the Bible.
0: Uh, really burned within them, and with that they can, they can push through the most, you know, the hugest odds. And the story that uh, there was only one day's worth of oil, but uh, it burned for eight, mm-hmm. the story is? Maybe in a little amplified form? <laughs> I know that you, okay. you're really uh, quite talented at telling uh, stories. Okay, well, let me tell you a story.
1: Uh, And I'll move a little quickly because I know we have time, uh, time limitations. This is the story of Reb Zalman. And Reb Zalman was a great spiritual master, a rebbe. And every Hanukkah, he would gather his his students, his Hasidim, around, and they would light a Hanukkiah, a Hanukkah menorah, downstairs and put it in the window to uh, publicize that there was this great miracle. And then, while his students were partying and really singing and, and dancing and eating and... He would go upstairs into the attic and look at a, a different menorah. And there are oil menorahs and he had this oil menorah that would burn for a long time and he would sit and just look at it. And some of his students said, What is he doing up there? So they would go up and see, and they say, Rebbe, what are you doing? And he would say, shah, <laughs> Send them away. You know, because they were being nudges. And downstairs they would say, Well, maybe he's doing it because the menorah downstairs represents this world, but the menorah upstairs represents the world to come, which is sort of the equivalent of Jewish heaven. Okay, no," said somebody else. "No, the, the menorah downstairs is the lower s- mystical world, and the one upstairs is the highest mystical world." On and on they go. What is it? Is it this? Is it that? But Reb Elia had a different idea. Reb Elia went upstairs on the eighth day of Hanukkah and sat on the bench next to the Rebbe. Didn't say anything except, "Is it okay if I sit here?" And the Rebbe said, "You." Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he sat there, and Reb Elia is looking in the light of the menorah, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking. He's wiping his eyes. It's like an hour. He's looking. He doesn't know what the Reb is seeing, and he's, uh, and then he saw what's a face started to form in the light, in the center. It was the face of his father. And not only did he see the smiling face of his father, but he began to feel. Suddenly welling up in him were all the memories of his father, all the the things his father taught him, all the strength his father had given him, and the love he felt, looking at that face. And suddenly, in the next light, the face of his mother appeared. Now, both of them had died some years ago, and again with his mother he felt the same love and strength and wisdom. And one by one, each flame filled with the face of one of his teachers from school, the milkman, various people who had taught him things until all eight lights plus the shamash, the helper candle had all these faces and he was so overwhelmed with this he began to cry and and Reb Zalman held him and and said yes I know, I know and this is why I look in the flame because in this flame is contained the wisdom and the love of all of our ancestors and this is what the Maccabees did when they looked in the fire At night, when they were ready to go to do battle, they looked into the fire and saw the light of their ancestors and felt strengthened by not only their ancestors, but by the light of God. And that's why we look in the flame. And from then on, Reb Elia did that. So that's an example of a story from Hanukkah. How important this light is,
0: even today. And if that story were to be told to uh, children, in that form or another form, uh-huh. how would it sound?
1: You mean a children's story of Hanukkah? There's so many. Um, well, I'll try to make this fast, knowing there's a limitation of time, and to say the one I just told tonight. It's a story about uh, the uh, the winter demon. And it's about this little girl who lived with her her parents in the edge of the woods. And her father had left a couple days ago Uh, to get stuff for Hanukkah, to make latkes, which are potato pancakes and all kinds of things. And he was late. He wasn't there. And it was like two hours from Hanukkah. So his mother said, I'm going to go out. So she goes outside. (whistles) Huge winds and it's just incredible snow. And she's looking for him. And suddenly (whistles) she's grabbed by the
2: winter demon. <laughs>
1: and put, he put her on his evil goat, and the goat took her behind the dark mountain because he had also captured the father, and they were both there. But Chana, the little girl, didn't notice. Well, it became Hanukkah time, so she had to light the menorah, so she lit it in the candle, said the blessing, Baruch She said the whole blessing, actually three blessings, and lit the candle and looked at it. And she was really worried, but looking in the candle flame filled her with such strength, such courage. And kids, I don't suggest you do this, but she decided she was going to go out into the snow and find her parents. She put on her cloak. She opened the door, going out into the snow, and she can't find them, and she's going in the dark, and she can barely see, and she hears, and she realizes, wait a minute, I learned something in Hebrew school, where many Jewish kids go that there's a winter demon. And she thought that quickly and began to run. <laughs> he missed her and he's running, trying to get her and she's running away. Where am I going to go? And he's kind of playing with her. Ha I'm going to get you. And he's kind of you know, oozing all of this kind of orange goo from his face. He's a real disgusting character and he's chasing after her. And she's like, this is really lost. Where is she going to go? And then she sees the distance. She sees a light. And it must be the light of the Hanukkah menorah in her house. And she runs and she makes it and she slams the door and he goes, What? She says, what happened? She heard the scream. She looked. She saw. His tail is stuck in the door. Aha! She thinks. She takes the candle and she says, give me my parents back or I'm going to burn your tail. He says, okay, okay. He sends for the goat. Brings back her parents. As soon as she knows they're safe, she says, now go away and never come back again. Touches his tail with the flame. He's gone. And they live happily ever after.
0: The end. How is it that um, for years and years Jews have been a persecuted people throughout the world yet they continue to survive. Stubborn! Oh, are we stubborn?
1: (laughs) We're stubborn, but it's a good, it's chutzpah, it's a good kind of stubbornness because we're so proud of who we are Uh, but who we are is not just uh, yay, we're the Jews, we're better than everybody else but that we hold the banner of justice ourselves and others and we want to live by that.
0: But why then are they persecuted? That's why, a, why were they
1: persecuted? They, you, you phrase it very nobly. Okay. Uh, we're persecuted for lots of reasons, which is at least two or three radio shows. But to try to say it in a couple of seconds, uh, uh, it's the same reason anybody is persecuted. Ignorance, hatred, and um, envy. You know, all kinds of reasons. Uh, we have long, long uh, you know, stereotypes Uh, But, you know, African-Americans, all kinds of folks have stereotypes uh, that they have to live with and and work with and fight against. And that's the best answer I can give you in a couple of minutes.
0: When someone um, comes to Jewish people with um, a statement of prejudice, what is a response that that works in a way that uh, respects the person who is prejudiced Mm-hmm. But also brings out the issue of how uh, prejudice doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Prejudice is wrong. Yeah.
1: It depends on your relationship. See, Judaism is the, the, the path of relationship. Okay, and it's very important. So if you're close to this person, you can sit them down and tell them straight, you know, what you said really hurt me. And let me tell you why. If, on the other hand, somebody down the street saying, eh, you know, whatever he says, you know, uh, you need to make sure you're safe. But uh, it's like if anybody calls you a jerk, you know, or something you don't like. You have to deal with it the way you can deal with it at that time. It depends on your relationship. Uh, but my policy is try to assume the best, that maybe they just don't know. You know, like Jewish jokes. You know, you don't know that this is, this is hurting, okay? It's not a joke. It's even worse when Jews tell Jewish jokes. <laughs> uh, but that, that would be my best response to that.
0: Well, Daniel, we're about coming to the end of our program, but uh, tell us briefly about your other life. You're not solely a Magid. No, I'm an American
1: citizen. <laughs> <laughs> that keeps us all busy. <laughs> yeah, well, I do a number of things. Um, part of being a Magid is I also teach kids in my house for Bar Mitzvah, Bar, bar Bat Mitzvah training. You know, they're becoming of age. and. But as far as my non Jewish professional life, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a PhD psychologist. I work at, at Children's Hospital of Oakland. I do pain management with kids, teaching them how to use their minds to uh, disengage from pain. Uh, I do psychotherapy with, with families and children. And um, I like to study meditation uh, as a you know, part of uh, my uh, scientific work.
0: Well, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious, and um, before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask all of my guests Uh at the end of an interview. And maybe you could take a minute or two and tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: Interesting book that I've read lately... Ooh, The Torah is one of the most interesting books I've read lately. Uh, The Torah is the five books of Moses. and uh, just reading today's Torah portion, the most incredible thing about the story of Joseph and uh, relationships between him and his brothers and and how one who has great insight needs to move carefully when they're sharing it with people. And he was a 17-year-old, uh, somewhat immature person who uh, did not share it well and so he was sent to Egypt essentially by his brothers, you know, almost killed, and, uh, but he learned many things from it. So I would say the Torah is one of my top books.
0: Daniel Lev, I want to thank you very much for joining us here on Radio Curious. Daniel Lev is a rabbi living and working in Berkeley, California. The book that he recommends is The Torah. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website www.radiocurious.org There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California,